there's a binary in everything, right? And there's also gray area that we all have to acknowledge because the life is gray. <laughs> and it, it's actually interesting you say this because, you know, people listen to our podcast and we have a very distinct point of view on each of those episodes. But does that mean that we're closed-minded people that don't evolve, that don't change, that don't listen? No, absolutely not. And I think it's sometimes surprising to people who don't get what we're trying, what we're about on that <laughs> medium and in that platform, when they meet us and realize that actually we're really nice, warm people. And this all actually comes from a place of love and compassion and not from a place of hate or othering or anything like that. Like we want people to get better. We want people to come on the journey with us. Um, and we're not all gonna agree on that path and that's okay. This is Maestro on the Mic. A podcast designed to help you change your mindset and your life. It is time for something new. Join host Dr. Shante Cofield, also known as the Movement Maestro, on a journey to see the bigger picture. Open your eyes. Find your passion and discover how movement unites us all. Let's get it popping. This is Maestro on the Mic. I'm the Maestro, and you're about to get maestro Three, two. Hey friends, Maestro here, coming at you live-ish with another episode of Maestro on the Mic. Today I have with me someone who, quite frankly, is a disruptor, and she uses that in her bio, and I I freaking love it. I had the pleasure of hopping on a, a webinar with her that she put together, and I was just like, dude... You, you gotta come on on my on my podcast. So if I read you the bio, she's a yoga teacher, a movement educator, a podcaster, an author. But first and foremost, I think, and the thing that I want to highlight the most is she is a disruptor in the yoga space. And so perhaps I should say less and let her do a little bit more disrupting. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Jaisal Parikh. Welcome, friend. Thanks, Maestro. Thanks for having me on. I'm so excited for this conversation. Dude, I, this is going to be quite frankly, one of the best things that's come out of um, racism, should we say, you know, that that really is what put you on my radar uh, and introduced me to you. And I was just like, this woman is doing all the things. So number one, thank you for doing what you're doing. Number two, thank you for being on. So number three, I'm going to pass the mic on over to you and let you introduce yourself to the people. Okay. Well, like you said, I am a podcaster. So a lot of folks who are listening may or may not have heard of the Yoga is Dead podcast that I co-created with my podcast partner, Sajal Patel. I have created um, a platform that we're building, we're growing uh, called Yoga Teachers of Color, which started with this list of yoga teachers of color to watch. Um, And the first one was in 2019. Um, like you said, I'm an author, so I've been writing articles around this topic of racism in yoga, along with other things like business practices, which kind of ties into the same thing, to be honest. Um, just predatory shit going on out there. <laughs> and um, like you said, disruptor. So we can talk a lot about what disruption means, but to me, it's just changing the status quo in whatever way feels like it's authentic to me. And these are the these are some of the ways that feel authentic to me. Have you always been a disruptor? I think I always had that nature, to be honest. Like, even from a little kid, I think I had a really strong sense of justice and, like, right and wrong, which really annoyed mm-hmm. my parents and the adults in my world. But, uh, yeah, I think I had that. And then I think for a while it kind of died. Like, I think as I got older, it kind of got trained out of me. Um, and I realized, like, it wasn't really getting me anywhere and I was just being seen as difficult and uh-huh. Um, yeah, so I'm sure you've had that experience too, right? Like when you uh-huh. try to push the status quo, people don't like it. And so you kind of get told like, well, you're not going to get anywhere if you continue down this path. And I just sort of had this epiphany and I started being more easygoing and go with the flow. And I don't think there's anything wrong with yeah. that balance. Cause I think probably it was a little too, too into like my sense <laughs> of right and wrong. Um, but I think in the last couple of years, I'm kind of coming around back to, that kid-like quality of, of uh, wanting to challenge things that I don't think are the right way to do things. 
I love that you said that kid-like quality. What what brought you back? Uh, just being fed up, to be honest. I think it was like mm. one of those things where it, it's really messed up because I actually came from a corporate background. I used to work in market research, and I, I worked in that for several years. And in a corporate environment, like, you know, there are certain guidelines you have to adhere by. And there is generally... I, this is a broad generalization because I understand that mm-hmm. there's differences between companies, but generally speaking, corporate environments have like an HR department, have like rules and guidelines around your behavior towards your coworkers. And so it's very like somewhat regulated, I should say. Mm-hmm. And when I switched to the yoga industry, it's like a free for all. It's all small businesses with like no mm-hmm. accountability. And so when I entered that space, like a lot, like a lot of people who enter into the wellness space, you kind of enter with your blinders on thinking, this is the thing that's going to heal me. And so you kind of Mm -hmm. like your guard is down, you're not looking for uh, conflict, because you're, you expect that the people in this realm are going to be better or at a higher um, Mm -hmm. energetic level or whatever, however you want to phrase that. And what ended up happening is because I had my blinders, up and I wasn't thinking critically, I was coming against all of this racism, which is rampant in the wellness world. And Mm -hmm. I wasn't, I didn't know how to process it, to be honest. Like I was just sitting there like dumbfounded and feeling disappointed and feeling hurt and feeling invalidated and feeling worthless. And I didn't understand why, and especially in the yoga space, being of South Asian descent, having been exposed to some of these things as a kid, um, especially like the cultural aspects. I was like, why don't I fit in here? I don't understand. And like, I would come across so many predatory people that I would realize have just like taken advantage of me or just said something really like that they shouldn't have like untoward. And then I just got to a point of frustration that led me down the rabbit hole of critical thinking. And the critical thinking was important because it's like all of a sudden I woke up and I was like, oh yeah, why, why have I been... Um, blind to all this? Why have I been letting myself be in these situations? And, you know, part of my waking up to is also my partner who works in finance. And he's not in the wellness world at all. And he's like, what the hell's going on with all these people you work with? Like, why is your industry so messed up? Like, why are people acting right? And I'm like, I don't know. So I had to kind of like figure it out that, yeah, they're really not acting right. Why are they not acting right? Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Jason, I have so many questions. So, you know, I'm not in the yoga space. I'm in the, the movement wellness space. I'm not directly in the yoga space. Mm-hmm. But it's really interesting to me that you said that you moved into that space and there's no accountability. Like, from an outsider looking in and the, the things that I've sat in on, it almost seems, though, to me, like people act like there's some kind of central body. Like everyone kind of subscribes to this like narrative. I don't know who wrote the narrative, but like it's really interesting to hear that there's no actual accountability. Like, What do you see as, and I'm trying to think how I want to formulate this question. What do you see as the structure for the yoga space? What are things based off of? How does this thing actually work? Because I'm clearly not well-versed in this. Yeah. And so I'll just say that it's starting to evolve now with the confluence of the pandemic and Black Lives Matter. um, I'm going to call it the new wave or the neo wave, whatever Mm -hmm, you want to call it. But previous to this, and, you know, it's obviously evolving, but previous to this, most people in the West, uh, or at least in the U.S., but they have influence beyond just the U.S., subscribe to the Yoga Alliance as being like this centralized... um, I guess you would, they, people used to think it was like this um, certifying body and it's mm-hmm. not a certifying body. It's a credentialing oh. body because they have a directory and they issue guidelines. But those guidelines are exactly that. They issue guidelines around what the training should look like. Okay. And so this industry has been heavily influenced by this one body, but it actually has no um, authority. Like it can't revoke your certification because they don't actually certify you. Um, what, what they do is that they support teacher training programs, which for the majority of teacher training programs, they're operating out of studios. So you can have independent teacher training programs, but most of them are operating from studios. And so studios hold a lot of the sway and the power around like how they've convinced people you need to do this certain training in order to be valid and valued as a teacher. 
right? In actuality, you don't need a teacher training certificate. You don't need that 200-hour certificate. My mind is blown right now. My mind is blown. Yeah, you don't need it. You can go out. Like, anybody can go out and just become a yoga teacher. You can start teaching your neighbors. You can start teaching your friends. You can start teaching. Like, if the gym doesn't ask for anything, like, you don't need it. It's just something to present when somebody asks you. Like, oh, do you have a certificate? And you're like, yeah, I I did the certificate. But that within that 200-hour, there's so much variance. And the guidelines are so low that, like, you can pretty much do whatever you want. And Yoga Alliance is not coming back and checking on anybody. Like, mm-hmm. they don't have the bandwidth to do that. They don't have the bandwidth to be like, you're a teacher training. You said this when you signed up that you were doing this, but now you're doing something else. And so we're going to um, say that you're not following our guidelines. And the thing Holy is, like, sp- yeah, and it's not. And the thing, the other thing is, like, so the way Yoga Alliance works right now is that they're serving training programs by issuing these guidelines and having those training programs register with them. And then on the back end, they have teachers register with them to be a part of this directory. And so they're trying mm-hmm. to serve two different groups. And sometimes those groups are at odds with each other in terms of mm-hmm. like, for example, employee rights and employee benefits. Like a, a studio or a business might see it one way and an employee or an independent contractor mm-hmm. might see it a different way. And because those training programs spend much more money per program to register with the alliance mm-hmm. like they are obviously going to be- like give their benefit yeah. more towards the businesses so there's a conflict mm-hmm. of interest built right into that um no structure idea. right mm-hmm. and then the other big influences are like clothing brands um which is like huge, right? The amount, if you think about like how many X billion dollars this yoga industry is worth, like most of it is clothing brands. So like the Lululemons have so much influence because they're doing these ambassadorship marketing programs. And then they're like giving their quote unquote philanthropic dollars, which is really just advertising money, right? To support like events and causes and this, that, and the other. And so they're another huge, huge influence in this industry. My mind is blown. I, I, what do you see as the way forward? Is this a good thing that it's kind of not centralized, but is like, what do you, where do we go? Where's the things going? <laughs> I just did a whole podcast interview about this. But yeah, um, I, I don't think that social distancing is going anywhere anytime mm-hmm. soon. Mm-hmm. And I don't think online yoga is going anywhere anytime soon. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, as much as, um, online yoga is not perfect and there's pros and cons. And as much as social media isn't perfect, there's also bias in the algorithm. We know that, yeah. um, it is, these are like the most democratic forms of, of doing like marketing and, um, offering yoga that we've ever come across. Oh. So like, this is a time where I'm personally seeing, like, I have so much more choice. It's not that I didn't have choice before, but you know, like that fear of missing mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. It's not there anymore because now when a teacher training program, for example, like in our industry, it's considered prestigious to be a part of a staff on a teacher training program. That's how you get like okay. credit credentials, basically mm-hmm. like that matter. Street cred, you know, street cred. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That street cred. Right. That street cred is like, oh, I'm on staff at so and so training. That's how you get the street cred. And so the thing is, like now I'm like, OK, I've been, I've built, you know, some platforms for myself. I've built my own social media following. And if I'm, if we're all doing stuff on Zoom, does it really matter if I'm on a teacher training Zoom platform or on my own? Because my followers or the audience at large, like, doesn't care what Zoom link they're clicking on. Yeah. Right? If I'm part of the marketing plan for this teacher training to, like, draw in people, I could just do that myself, which is kind of what Mm -hmm. we did with the the panel discussion, right? Like, eight Mm -hmm. of us got together. We have a combined audience. We didn't need any, like authority or legal entity to tell us to do this we just were like we're gonna do this and guess what we freaking sold out that event in like less than 30 something hours like probably in 30 hours and we blew it out of the water so one i love so much what you're saying here because i'm we're very much the same now if someone won't give you a stage okay then you build your own and Mm -hmm. here you go traditionally because i i didn't really understand this is how it worked that you are kind of like okay if i want to make my own 200 hour yoga teacher training like anyone could do that 
yeah, anyone. Like, I can create a 200-hour training as long as I, like, appear to match the guidelines and mm-hmm. then just pay a fee and register. And then same thing with as a teacher, by the way. Like, when you get that certificate, yes, they check that you got their certificate with the school, but then you have those, like, CEUs like you were talking about, and they're yep. all self-reported. So, like, no one is ever checking on you. So my next question then is, because we're talking about street cred, Mm-hmm. And we're also kind of talking about the fuckery that's all up in everything here. Why does it seem like it's only, and maybe it's just like this all that I see, it's the same people, the same demographic that creates these 200-hour teacher trainings and the, and the same demographic that seems to be lifted up in terms of like, well, that they have the training and that is prestigious, like... What, what's going on there? Are, I know you have uh, your Yoga Teachers of Color um, you know, program. Why is it... Okay, let me just ask it straight out. Why does it seem like it's only white women who have 200-hour yoga and white men who have 200-hour yoga teacher trainings? Is that wrong? It, is that I think there's is? a misconception there. I, I do, okay. and we don't have data to back it up. So like, I am sitting here talking anecdotally because if I had the data... I would be talking about it. And it, that's part of why I also wanted to create this platform is because I want to gather the data. Um, yeah. But if you look traditionally, like at the yoga space, like it was obviously, you know, the people that brought it actually, I should say, were hippies. Like, honestly, they were hippies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they went to India in the like <laughs> 60s and the 70s and they got into this thing and they were like slowly bringing it over. And so it happened to be this like very white demographic. And not to say that, Um, people of color were not included in that. Like Mm -hmm. there were people of color, but the majority of people who were like making these pilgrimages were tended to be white. Um, And, you know, we can probably talk about why that is. And we could probably take an educated guess to say that it probably had to do with the colonialist remnant structures, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Around like why people might feel entitled to go somewhere and Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. travel Mm -hmm. without... Mm -hmm consequence and yeah, what, yes. take all these things back and <laughs> and then capitalize them and market them yes. right? and so this is the audience that was really good like i said of of uh, applying the capitalist structure to it so it's not that like indian people don't do yoga indian people do yoga all the time in different ways some of it's asana it might be like one of the things i talk about with lakshmi nair and we wrote an article about this is how indian communities across the diaspora um, have bhajans like every weekend. Like I grew up going to bhajans, so did Lakshmi. Like this is a common thing. Like in a, any boondog town that there's an Indian person, like they're probably going to some bhajan every weekend. What? What is this? I'm not sure. This. <laughs> so bhajan is like, a, it's like devotional songs. It's devotional singing okay. in community. Okay. Um, and so, you know, that's great. That exists. And that's a limb of yoga. Mm-hmm. It's like a, or a school of yoga called bhakti yoga, which is this limb of devotion. But, in Western, in the Western uh, model or the capitalist model, what we see is like these wanderlust type events. It's wanderlust and mm-hmm. other other festivals, right? Mm-hmm. That basically mm-hmm. are like, well, we're gonna take this and hyper capitalize it. We're gonna find a headliner. Mm-hmm. We're gonna make it into a concert. We're gonna charge people okay. tickets. We're gonna sell them shit at the like uh... venue. We're gonna make it expensive, you know. And it's like, and as the gatekeepers of this event, we get to choose who headlines. And guess what? none of those people are ever people of color. Like uh-huh. they're 99.9% white folks. Why? Because yeah. those white folks did the same thing where they learned like 1% of a tradition and they were like, well, I'm just going to apply my own flair and then I'm going to market the shit out of it because I know how to do that. Uh-huh. And I'm going to make it appeal to the Western audiences. Meanwhile, like Indian singers, like study years. It's like a, it's like a process. You know what I mean? It's like, you have to study under a master. You have to learn all the ins and outs. And only then like, will you graduate to being able to be a performer and an expert within that community? And then the way you sing has a lot to do with what the words are and what the like feeling of that devotion of that, of that God or whatever you're, whoever you're singing to is. And so like, there's a lot of considerations where it's like Western people don't care they don't know the yeah. culture and they don't really care yeah, about yeah, the culture. Yeah. It's disposable to them. And so they apply this capitalist structure. And the same thing happens with yoga studios, right? Like studios will be like, oh, I learned this asana. <sighs> like I've met so many people who have taken teacher training because they wanted to open a studio. It's not that they were yeah. doing yoga for a long time and felt 
like, oh, I've learned so whatever there is to learn. And I feel like this is the pinnacle and I've become such an expert. And now I want to offer that expertise. It's like, I want to make money. I want to be in this industry, Mm -hmm. but I don't want to be at the bottom of the totem pole. So I want to like make money. Um, Yeah, exactly. And so they're like intent right off the bat is I'm going to be the business owner and I'm going to come in and I get to decide. And of course, then like they're, they decide what the culture is of that business. And so it has to do a lot with like who has the means, who has access, who knows how to do the marketing and then who knows how to draw in like their crowd, their specific crowd that might may or may not have money. But then we've gotten to a point where the quote unquote market is saturated. We hear that. Right. But it's because Mm -hmm. all the studios are catering to the same people. And yeah, what I'm finding is that people of color do practice yoga. They just don't do it in traditional spaces. Oh. Right, they do it on their own. They do it in their homes, this. in the parks, in the rec centers. Yes, yes. Online. Talk. This this idea, and I, I mean, I think this is why this is the name of your podcast. Yeah. What do you mean? I'm going to ask us the broad yeah. question there. Then, what do you mean? Aside from the the entire amazing speech you just gave, <laughs> that yoga is dead. Well, yeah, it's a play on it's. Well, I shouldn't say it's a plan word. It's a tongue-in-cheek name, to be mm-hmm. frank. Like, it's a little bit cheeky. It's supposed to be funny. It's obviously an exaggeration. Um, and I say that because a lot of people take that too literally. <laughs> They're like, well, yoga is more alive than ever. More, practice- <laughs> more people are practicing it than ever before. And what we're saying is that the real essence of what yeah. yoga is, the history, the culture, like all of those things, have been completely set aside in the name of capitalism and in the name of profit and in the name of excluding people like that supremacy culture we were talking about that is totally infiltrated the yoga space so what is here right now and what are what do we do with it in what way like what do we do like individually yeah, what can we, so, I, you know, I don't want to say what can we do, like, you know, implying that there's a huge problem, but, like, everything that you just said basically mm-hmm. rocked my world, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> I, I see this, like, holy shit, yes. But the stuff that's here isn't going away, and there's a big problem there, though. I will say, I guess there is a big problem there. What What do we do? Okay, so I will say that I think part of this is going away. Right. Oh, because okay. Good. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Part of it is going away because, again, of the confluence of the pandemic and this mm-hmm. no, new wave of Black Lives Matter. Because again, the internet has become a bit of an equalizer. In that. Yes. Okay. Right now, you can do whatever yeah. you want to do, and more people, more students are online than ever before. Like that was the big hurdle okay. before getting students to come online because students, obviously, most of the time, like more often than not, prefer in person. But now that that's mm-hmm. not an option. They've all like figured out how to be online. And so have the teachers, teachers who are maybe resistant to technology and Mm -hmm. resistant to like wanting to build their own business out because it felt overwhelming, um, were forced to do that. And so now I don't think any of those teachers are throwing away this online component just because like things may or may not be opening up. Mm hmm. Right. It takes, as you know, it takes a lot of work to build that out. So like, you're not going to be like, okay, I'm done with Uh that. Let me go back to this (laughs) studio setting where maybe, you know, like, and I'm going to try to say every studio is terrible, but a lot of them are feel, feel very oppressive to the people working there. Oh man. Right. And like, we have other issues in our industry too, which is, I'm not trying to say it's only with yoga because it Mm -hmm. happens everywhere, but we have abuse issues, right. All sorts of abuse issues. So if you're, you happen to be a part of a community that felt abusive, like, and you've had some space now from that, what's the incentive to go back? Yeah. Oh, totally. This, would, would it be fair to say that some people, maybe I am some people, I don't know, mm-hmm. um, just didn't know, like, if you're, if you're a, a participant, you go and practice yoga and you're just going and you've been told it's this thing and you're just like, yeah, I want the benefits of, you know, whatever physical benefits and the community and such. Um, Are you seeing, you know, based on the outpouring of, of these people now that just perhaps some people just like didn't know that like, this is what had happened to yoga. Absolutely. I mean, we get messages every single day for the podcast telling us that we have woken people up. Yeah. 
right? Because like we're the first people to come along on this sort of platform and to say, hey, yoga industry, we're not immune to all the problems in the world. In fact, some of these problems are very, very exaggerated in this industry Mm -hmm. because of the lack of accountability. Mm -hmm. And so we need to address it. And so I do see more and more people awakening it. Now, that could be my bias because I happen to have a platform. So obviously (laughs) people are engaging on that platform. Um, but I, you know, I didn't feel that way beforehand. And like, to the point that it's even in my personal community, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. my friends have listened to it and they're like, holy crap, Mm -hmm. we had no idea that was going on. Or, um, yoga teachers that I knew in New York that had no idea, like had never thought about things from this point of view before are now listening to this. And like, a lot of them are thanking me and saying like, thanks for waking me up and all of this stuff. So I think it's starting to change. I think it's starting to change. I got to thank you for bringing hope. I, I think that the media would basically every point that I brought up and, you know, asking about you have, you've brought such hope. Um, I think the media would have us just believe that like everything's getting worse every single day. Mm-hmm. Just in evidence, worse and worse and worse. And it's really nice to hear you say like, yes, but, and here's, you know, what I'm seeing. And like, even if it is that you have a bias, like the fact that it exists and is going on, that's a positive. That's really, it's really great as an individual. Someone listening to this, myself, and it's like, okay, I want to go to, if it ever opens up again, I really like that you said that, you know, how the digital space can open, can really level the playing field. When things open up again, at some point ever, how can someone, you know, as an individual, go to a, a, a yoga studio and kind of feel confident that what is going on there is headed in the right direction? I mean, I think there's no way to to know that every single time you're going to go into a studio, it's going to be in the right yeah. direction. Because the the issue with these that particular model is that there is a clear hierarchy, mm-hmm. right? Unless unless it's a collective, like the model is to be a business collective, um, which more and more of them are popping up. So, like, if you go into a collective and you see a diverse representation of people who are member owners of that collective, then chances are you're going to, it's going to be a safer space. Right. Or like you can maybe interact with the studio owner or management team ahead of time and just ask like Mm -hmm. the right questions around like, what is their commitment to diversity, equity, inclusion? How are they showing up in that space to make it a safe space for people? And um, I was on a panel with Kendra Copeland and she said how, like not even about safe space, like how are you making yourself a safe person to be around? Mm -hmm. Which I thought was like brilliant. So like we can ask those questions. We have every right to ask those questions. And, And that's another like little thing by the way, in this industry, because um, oftentimes with this hierarchy, it almost feels like because it, it, it seems like the power is all at the top. And I say that because mm-hmm. I don't think that that's true. I think it often seems yeah. like that and we get convinced yep. the power is all at the top yes. that um, there isn't even a real interview process half the time. It's like they just assume that everyone's dying to work there and they convince you that you should be dying to work there too, as opposed to like building your own shit and having choices. Yeah. Right. So like we have, yeah, yeah, we have all these people that are like, oh yeah, like I won't even, they won't even ask questions and they'll just do whatever the studio tells them, even if it's immoral, even if it's illegal, (laughs) like even if the studio is like you, we're going to give you a non-compete clause for an independent contractor, which is not even legal in most states. But people just, you are speaking the language of the, the physical therapist that just, doesn't ask questions and assumes the power is all at top and i think that's average the average joke quite frankly and Mm -hmm. one of the things that hopefully the the pandemic is opening people's eyes to and i think we see it we saw it happen in crossfit when people started realizing like oh actually like the power isn't at the top it's actually with the individual you don't you have to want to have you know take on that responsibility that comes with having power but that's actually where where it's at like I love that you're that you're saying this well because you the thing had is, go ahead. if teachers didn't teach at studios studios wouldn't have a business do you know what I mean yeah, yeah like, exactly are- <laughs> yes <laughs> exactly 100 percent. I, I don't I feel like people don't see that and that was like when it was really interesting that you said earlier about like there's like there really isn't this like kind of central thing that like someone's gonna take all take 
all your resources away or anything like that. Like, I didn't realize that. And people really, you know, I think most people think that and they act accordingly and they stay in, you know, quote unquote, stay in line and follow things and do things, even if they're illegal, because they're like, there's a, someone above or something above that's going to take away my safety, that's going to take away my resources. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to keep doing this thing. But I'm glad we got people like you that are like, hey, hold up. Wait a minute. You said before we hopped in the podcast, we were all up in the DMs, that Rona has given you the opportunity to, to reevaluate some things and really figure out your yes and your no's. Could you tell us more about that? Yeah, I mean, and it goes back to, again, like, if, if we're all on the same platform, if we're all using Zoom, <laughs> what does it matter? So that's part of it. Mm-hmm. Like, it does not matter because my audience is going to follow me wherever I go, whether it's your platform or my platform. Yeah. Right. And so now yeah. I'm like, it had this awakening of like, well, why aren't I doing things more on my platform mm-hmm. then? Oh, why yes. do I, why am I giving my power away? And also part of it is like having now been, um, in the space of being recognized as somebody for the last, yeah. I don't know, year and change, maybe two, like a, a little under two years. Right. Like, what I'm noticing is in the beginning, and this is part of my tendency too, right? Like I, we are all conditioned in supremacy culture and it's a process of unconditioning. And so part of my conditioning was like saying yes to everything, feeling like there's a, like there's a scarcity of opportunities. And now I'm walking into my own self of recognizing that there isn't a scarcity of opportunities. Just like Mm -hmm. I like had to unlearn in the past, like there is not a scarcity of teaching opportunities. I had to unlearn there's not a scarcity of press opportunities of uh, event opportunities Mm -hmm. and that I can create as many opportunities as I need for myself. Um, And so in that, like I've been asking better questions too. And so one of the things that I ask every time somebody asks me to be a part of like an event is, well, who else is on this event? Because I'm not going to be tokenized. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be the only person of color that's there to represent every person of color. And we've all learned by doing and having made these mistakes. So I'm not saying like that's happened to you that like you're a terrible person. I'm just saying that like I've learned because I've been, I've, it's happened and I'm like, crap, I should not have done it that way. I should have done it differently. And so now when I asked to do an event, I'm like, okay, who else is on it? And then like, is it a well-represented group of people? So it's not just, Uh, is there another South Asian person or is there a black person? It's like, no, do you have like a spectrum of -hmm. cross, not just like racial identities, but also then abilities and things like that. So Mm kind of stepping into that place where we like do have privilege, like each of us has privilege. And so saying like, where then how can I use my voice to support people that don't have as many privileges? Um, So that's super, super important to me. (laughs) What what are the next steps there? I've, this is actually something that I've been sitting with and like trying to figure out like, okay, well, what, what, what do we do and how do we actually then get on, you know, how do these panels become more diverse besides me just asking? So if I ask this question mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, there's nobody else. And then I'm like, well, do something about that. What, what are the next steps? And I'm literally just asking for myself here. What are the next steps that either you've been done, you've done or you recommend so that the actual change does happen and it's not just like okay i'm not gonna be part of this thing and it's like if everybody says that then no one's gonna be part of it mm-hmm. so how do we what what uh, happens next yeah and i've had some incidences recently where i've had to do a lot of educating around like why i can't be a part okay. of something you know what mm-hmm. i mean so mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. not just that there isn't enough diversity but it's like what is your organizational structure and mm-hmm. what's the diversity on that educate on, on that whole business structure what on the back end, right? Like who's making these decisions? Who, who gets mm-hmm. to even like decide who to ask? So who are the gatekeepers essentially? And if your gatekeepers are all like white people, yeah. I'm likely going to say no to your organization mm-hmm. because you're like, why should I lend you my value? What I'm realizing here also, like, and I've had this discussion with several other people in this industry now is that most organizations who are all white like need people of color much more than people of color need them there is a disparity because if they have uh events and things like that that are all white people they look racist because they are (laughs) (laughs) because they are because they are (laughs) because they are but it's optically it's very easy to see like there was a conference in toronto 
every single presenter or there was supposed to be i think i got canceled because of the corona but when you looked at that roster every single person on that event was white not one person of color Mm -hmm. and you're like well yeah you're racist and you're gonna get called Mm -hmm. out for it publicly and of course they did get called out for it publicly but then it also reflects badly in my opinion on every single presenter who said yes to be a part of that organization right like how can you as a white person be talking about like how healing and how safe and inclusive and blah 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 this industry is if you are not if you're part of an event that does not even have one person of color on it yeah it's right there's so much ownership uh, being being put on people now with this what you're you're saying and i i love that i think that there's also um and this is something i've been sitting with is that it it all it does become kind of double work um at times for that person that is going to be tokenized and and Mm -hmm. that person that technically is going to be oppressed. It's like, it does become double work because one, you like have to do the work to like get the recognition. Mm -hmm. And then you got to do the work to like research the goddamn facility, whatever panel and be like, okay, who's on it? What all, you know, all these things. Whereas, you know, at some point in time, you could just be like, yeah, sure. I'll do this thing. It's awesome. Uh, It does. It's so much work. work. It's so much work. And to the point that like, I'm working with other people now, like a very, it's not anything formal, but a loose collaborative structure of people working together to create a checklist of questions to ask. Uh So that like, you know, that you've gone through all of the things up to like somebody, um, Amber Carnes was somebody that told me like, when she does an event now, because she's learned right from mistakes that like, she asked, like, how is my marketing material going to be used? Um, Like, can, do you Mm -hmm. have examples of past marketing material? All of these questions, mm-hmm. like, what is the messaging that's around this marketing? Like, all of these yeah. questions around just the marketing. Or, like, one of my big things has been contracts. And contracts are so overbroad, so overreaching when you look at them. They'll say things like, we're going to use your image uh, in likeness and perpetuity. I'm like, I am never, ever going to sign a contract that gives away my likeness in perpetuity. Sorry, not happening. I don't care how inconvenient it is to you as the organization that you have to check back in with me in a few years. This, it's just not going to happen mm-hmm. because I'm keeping control over myself and my message and how it's being used. And then like, there's so there's so many facets of this. Like one, another big thing that gets overlooked is payment, right? And yes. if, if you're being asked to be on a panel that is at some point going to be monetized in some way, whether it's asking donations um, on YouTube with advertisers, what, whatever the monetization structure looks like, or straight up asking people like, you know, after... 30 days to like pay for access and you're not paying those presenters that's messed up that's not equity Mm -hmm. and that's also a form of gatekeeping in and of itself in that when you ask people to do stuff for free that means only the people that can afford to do stuff for free yeah can do it right so when we did this panel like i you know i was the organizer but i just split Mm -hmm. i split it because it's easier but everybody got paid and you probably got paid more than you've ever gotten paid in another panel Mm mm-hmm I remember when, when I DM'd you and I was like, oh, because I just, so many things I do and there's like, there's no commission on anything. A lot of things there are, it really depends, mm-hmm. but um, that was just another thing that was like really stood out and I was like, man, she, she's just the shit and just does things so, so right. It's I- a lot of this has really forced me to take a step back and just be like, let me reevaluate because I do so much on my own. I don't yeah. really do a lot of things. Um and say yes to a lot of things and the things that are that's like this for my friends so i'm like yeah that's totally fine i'm gonna go speak at your thing it's totally cool um but it's really interesting to have to take a step back and be like oh yeah i i have a question for you if you don't mind yeah but I'll, um, also i just want to credit ahead. um constanza aliana chinea for teaching me that model of the panel because i we had done an event earlier and she had done the same thing and so she set that example for me you know what I mean? That's and great. we had we had obviously like I've had discussions with so many people in the industry around pay. So I just wanted yeah. I just wanted to make that clear that like I didn't invent this. It's it's coming from other people too, you know? Oh. I love it. I mean it makes total sense. I actually hadn't thought about like it makes so so much sense if it's like a paid thing and then you know, you should be getting paid something for that. Um I love the split I love that that you brought up with like if it's going to be repurposed and there's going to be ads and such in it, like I don't think that's something people think about at all. Like, oh wait, where does what ultimately ends up happening with this? I think that this kind of ties into my question. People are just very much. Um, let's say someone's new in the industry and they're in that mindset. Like, well, the exposure is mm-hmm. good. Do you have any words about that? 
yeah, you can always build your own exposure. You don't need anybody else to give you exposure. Like that is the great thing about social media. Again, it's not perfect. There's definitely bias, but it's the most democratic way to create your own exposure to date. There are like very, there's very little gatekeeping involved versus like traditional media has always been controlled by somebody, right? Like whether it's like the television station or the radio station or like, and the people who um, work there and at the higher levels, like, and social media, you don't need to go through any of that. It's all just based on your content and who you want to attract. Love it. I love it. It's going to take time. And I think that's, I think that's, you know, we see this supremacy culture, um, characteristics, characteristics popping up and it's like people want to kind of expedite the process. And so you're like willing to sell your, sell your soul a little bit to, yeah. uh, expedite that and get to that faster. But this, these are such great points. And I'll say like up. even podcasting, right. It's like a, such a mm-hmm. new medium that like there hasn't been, um, like, yeah, of course there are podcasts that have a ton of money behind them. But like at the end of the day, if you do, if you create something great, like people are going to listen to it. And again, like yeah. you can market it through social media. So it's like two relative, like relatively democratic. I'm not going to say they're fully democratic, but like yeah. much more so than anything ever has been in the past. Oh, and so I, I, you've hit the, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, go, 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 go. No, no, no. It, I was so just going to reiterate that like, you know, this is an opportunity. This is a prime time in in the span of like i don't know since media existed uh ah, for, you're for right people to create their own shit dude as i want you to say you know i'm saying go 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 because this is yes so much yes and you are explaining why i felt so passionate about these these forms of medium of media where you get to be your own really your own boss your, your own broadcasting station you get to control all of it and decide how you do it i say all the time like i'm very much unemployable at this point because i can't <laughs> go back to having somebody else be like we'll do it this way and i'm like but i don't have to i can do it this way because mm-hmm. it, it's my own speaking of podcasting can you tell us some more about your podcast like what is it why you started it just whatever you want to say about it sure so we say yoga is that is a revolutionary podcast that explores power privilege fair pay harassment race, cultural appropriation, and capitalism in the yoga and wellness world. Um, and what makes it somewhat unique, too, is that Sejal and I are both Indian American yoga teachers, so we sort of straddle this space between um, tradition and modernity, and in many ways, not just saying that, like, mm-hmm. one area is more modern than others, but we're kind of aware of, like, how things are evolving in India, how things are evolving in the West, how things have been in the West for, like, the last at least decade or two, how things have been in India for since we grew up going there um, with with wellness. So it's very, very unique. And it's unique in that we each episode covers a topic and we say like, we'll say like, so-and-so is dead is like a provocative name. So our first episode is called White Women is Dead <laughs> to talk about race and or White Women Killed Yoga rather to talk about race. And um, we, in each one, like we explore the theme in like a narrative. So we have like, a distinct narrative. We may not always agree 100% on everything, but we present our research around it, and then we present our uh, ways to move forward at the end of every episode. I love this. I love this. Folks, you know we will link that 100% in the show notes. What's the um, like the schedule on this? When, when are things released? Here's the best part about it, because... Ooh. Yeah, because like the con- the conventional business advice is you have to release a podcast like every week. <laughs> it mm-hmm, has to mm-hmm. be on a schedule, it has to be the same day. And guess what? We don't have, we don't subscribe to any of that. We cool. started our episodes last year. We did six episodes. So we did one season of six episodes where we released an episode roughly once a month, but there were t- times mm-hmm. where it was like closer to two months. And it just mm-hmm. so happened to be when we were ready. And this is mm-hmm. again, part of undoing that supremacy mentality that it has to be a certain way. And mm-hmm. what we realized like is it. like, people listen to us because our content was good, not because yeah. it came out every week. Yeah, You know what I mean? And so like, mm-hmm, I totally. think if your content is good, people will listen to it, does not matter if it comes out every week or not. So we finished season one and we just decided that we're going to do a season two and that's going to be released in 2021. We don't have dates yet because the same thing, we're still working on a lot of other stuff behind the scenes. We're doing events. Mm 
Um, we're doing workshops. And so we will probably start working on episodes. We have some ideas and thoughts, but we'll probably start seriously working on them um, in the fall. And so however long it takes us, you know, that's where that's yeah. when it's going to re release. <laughs> I love it. What do you say to people that are like, their knee jerk reaction is like, ah, oh, that's like so selfish. Around which part? Like, if, if, if you're saying like, yeah, we put it out when it works for us. And I, I, do you get kickback or pushback kickback? Do you get pushback from that? And people are like, ah, oh, like, I don't want like that is this, you're not, you're not thinking about my needs or whatever. You get pushback on that? We don't you? get pushback, but we do get people like asking us all the time because they know like that we're going to do it on our timeline. But They'll be like, so when is, I can't wait for the next episode. Any idea when it's going to come out? Like things like that, where it's not like, it's not like pushy or mean, but people yeah, are excited. Just, you know what I mean? Which is it. great. Good. I think it's yeah. like, yeah, it just shows how much people are willing to wait for stuff that excites yeah. them. Absolutely. I love the, you're walking the walk here. And I love that. Um, I think one of the things that we're going to see, like, so folks, you listening to this. One of the things that you're going to see is when you take a non-traditional path, it may take longer, but the people that join you are your people. And that, that, and Jason, I would love to hear you, you know, your, your take on this. But what I found is like, and I definitely still have so many things that subscribe to the traditional model, but the things that I do that don't, um, it may take longer and maybe a little harder, but the people that that come along on that journey with you are just so true and so loyal. Yeah, I, I mean, 100% agree with that. And here's the thing, like, if you're one of those people that wants a podcast every single week, then we're not for you. And I'm fine with that. Yeah, that's it. Like, okay, that's find it. somebody else that is that yeah. is giving you the excitement, you know, but I want mm -hmm. an audience, not because I want an audience, I want an audience of people who like, want to hear what I have to say. And vice versa. Like, I also want to hear from my audience. Like, I want to be in community with them. I don't want it to be like a one-way street of communication. So, like, if you're talking about some BS that is, like, completely <laughs> out of, like, my wheelhouse of thought process, like, I don't really want you in my community. Yeah. Uh, uh. Jaisal, how do I want to phrase this? Uh, around this idea of choice because we we see one of the things that's come up a lot is this uh premise within supremacy culture of either or it's mm -hmm. either this or it's that and we're seeing and the binary and we're seeing you know moving away from that and uh, the concept and I'm, I'm taking it from james olivia of both and not either or mm -hmm. some of the structures within supremacy culture is there room with some of the stuff that's already been that, that's in place is there room for having these things is there a better way to do things so like for example if i just take the the podcast example if it's someone that like, like like myself if i like putting out podcasts and having a regular schedule i feel like the knee-jerk reaction with everything that's going on right now, maybe for someone to swing the other side and be like, oh my God, I'm by me doing this, I'm upholding supremacy culture and like I should dissolve <laughs> this. And what, where, can you speak to that? Yeah, absolutely. There's a binary in everything, right? And there's yeah. also gray area that we have to acknowledge because the life is gray. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's yeah. actually interesting you say this because, you know, people listen to our podcast and we have a very distinct point of view on each of those episodes. But does that mean that we're closed-minded people that don't evolve, that don't change, that don't listen? No, absolutely not. And I think mm -hmm. it's sometimes surprising to people who don't get what we're trying, what we're about mm -hmm. on that <laughs> medium and yeah, in that platform yeah. when they meet us and realize that actually we're really nice, warm people <laughs> 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 and that we listen and that we are very compassionate and we're very, and this all actually comes from a place of love and compassion and not from a place of hate or othering mm -hmm. or anything like that. Like we want people to get better. We want people to come on the journey with us. Um, and we're not all going to agree on that path and that's okay. 
right? Like nobody. Yeah. And this is something like somebody kind of messaged me the other day because I reposted something from someone and they didn't like that person or whatever, which was like a whole presumptuous thing to begin with because I didn't know this person messaging me. Like, I don't know you. Like, why? Okay, why are you coming at me? But like this presumption that every that I am going to agree with 100% with anybody that I repost. That is impossible. Mm-hmm. That is physically impossible mm-hmm. for me to 100% agree with anybody. I just yeah. happened to like this one thing they said, you know, mm-hmm. or um, we had somebody yeah. come with us, come at us like for an interview. It was like a first ever time that somebody wanted to interview us. Right. And so this is probably back in June. And so this person was like excited and they had like a little bit of a platform of their own. And then they found out that we were doing an interview with somebody they did not like. And Mm. they basically like retracted. They didn't retract it outright, but they were kind of like, you could tell they got sour and then they like Mm -hmm. did not follow up again. And so I'm like, and their, their question was, is this who you're aligned with? And we were like, first of all, we don't know you either. (laughs) Again, Yeah. 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 You approached us. We don't know you. We have no pre existing relationship. So why am I supposed to align with you over somebody else? Yeah. And B, like, I'm not aligning with anybody else but myself. Like, if you mm-hmm. want to interview me, does not mean that I align with you. Wow. You know what I mean? Like, so much. it's totally. just another yes. media platform. Like, if Fox News wants to interview me, does not mean I agree with Fox News by appearing on Fox News. Mm-hmm. There's so much nuance. There's so much nuance. Yeah. So I think, like, if I th- the God, binary God, thing is, like, the worst. Just make And just assuming that... Um, there's only one way to look at things. And like part of what we're doing with the podcast is just offering a different point of view, like from what the common narrative, the common narrative is that there's no racism in yoga. And we're like, um, excuse me. (laughs) That's so interesting that that's the, like what? Yeah. Wow. And like, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this. (laughs) And if you need to cut this out, cut it out. But we did a whole episode on vegans, which I get really shy to talk about because of the amount of hate that we get around this. But the fact is, yeah, we get so much hate because there's so many people who are, um, and I don't want, I I hate coloring it because I have to say like, we've gotten lots of messages from people who practice veganism, who are very open to our message Mm -hmm. because our message is essentially like, don't use veganism as a means to put diet culture onto people and don't use, and don't use veganism as a means to appropriate the idea, the idea of nonviolence, because that has already like there already exists all of these mm-hmm. myriad of philosophies around ve- uh, around nonviolence and non-harm and what that means and how it pertains to ethics, how it pertains to diet, how it pertains to culture. And some of those are very close to veganism. And so veganism, like putting your veganism onto somebody else in a yoga setting can often come off as appropriation and it can come off mm-hmm. as oppressive in other ways like diet culture as well. Yeah. And so it's not, we're not saying like, don't be vegan. That's what people interpreted as, right? What? what? Yeah. They interpreted it as us saying we're anti-vegan, which we're not. You know what I mean? I'm like, hell? if you want to be vegan, I 110% yeah. support your journey Do on it. that. But what? then people who are just like so bought into the narrative like the ant like because mm-hmm. you know like there's a yes. that yes. anti-narrative around it that they yeah. like they perceive everything as a threat and then they come at us yeah yeah it's so interesting to me that like anybody in general has the time to be hating on i mean yeah that's another thing we get these long like, like journal emails what the hell? What? You're like, like, you need a hobby homie like what how do you have time in the time this is so, it's so write this, you could have created yes. your own podcast. <laughs> you know, exactly. I'm like, make your own platform. Do your own thing. Like, just stand for what you stand for. And yeah. it's so, it's always so, so interesting to me that these kinds of things, like, I, I, uh, I don't know. The thought that I'd have to even like, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to have to edit anything out there, but the thought that it was like, like you, you're, I just, all of it, it's just kind of mind boggling for me. Like, Especially with clearly what you stand for, which is educate yourself, critically think, make your own decisions, have choice. Don't force your opinions on other people. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. And, th- you know, there's plenty of people. I get the most excited when a vegan person reposts that episode because they're like, they get it. I'm like, yes, you get <laughs> yeah, what we're saying. Get it. Finally. It's you know like, what I mean? Like, that makes me feel so happy inside. Wow. 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 I'm keeping my eye on the time here, but I do have another. I, I want to know more about what you're doing. I want my people to know more about what you're doing. Um, this, 
your yoga teachers of color platform. Can can you talk about what that is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this started as a list of people to watch, like I, I think I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and part of it came out of something that we did not like, which was a list put out, which Shantae, I believe you were on it. <laughs> yeah. yeah I was like, oh. A list of then yoga. I got trouble. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, again, but again, we've all been in that position of being tokenized without even necessarily even knowing we were being tokenized yeah. and then maybe realizing it on the back end. Yeah. Um, but this comes as, yeah, so there was a list put out of like mm-hmm. 19 yoga and movement teachers to watch in 2019. And you were the only person of color out of 19 on this list. And yeah. when it was pointed out to this organization, um, which should I just name them? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It was yeah. Shut Up in Yoga, which is an online mm-hmm. uh, magazine, which actually I had really high hopes for because they were like talking my language and then this happened and I was like, what? Mm-hmm. Um, and so like a lot of people pointed it out to them that, hey, like this is not okay that you totally are not seeing your bias. This is a completely missed factor. At the time, they did not react well to any feedback. Mm-hmm. And the feedback was not coming just from people. It was coming from like a whole host of people. And yeah they i don't think that they had ever encountered anything like this before and so the reaction was very poor um and this one person i had like i was in the comments and like this one person sophie uh sophie griffiths she had written them like again explaining like she's a white person she was trying to explain Mm -hmm. like a white person a white person just see if Mm -hmm. that helps you know as an ally um about what the situation was and they responded if you think you can do better yourself go ahead and Sophie oh. wrote like, okay, I will. And I saw that comment and I responded and I was like, I want to help you with this. <laughs> yeah. I like kind of just invited myself to the party. And so, um, you know, and I'll just say like later on that, that magazine like kind of backtracked their reaction. I think they realized that they, they reacted poorly. And then when we came out with our list, they reposted it. Um, and I can't speak to any other changes there cause I don't know, but that mm-hmm. at least as far as the list, that's what happened. And so then that year, the same year, 2019, Sophie and I created our own list of 19 teachers of color to watch, or it was women of color mm-hmm. at the time, because we just wanted mm-hmm. to really highlight women. But um, the next year, 2020, we decided to open it up to all genders. And so we did another shareable list. And that first list, we wanted to see if there's like a way to turn this into something bigger. And so what we did was we tried to get sponsorship for the list. And we did, we were able to get a sponsor that we like stand behind and that you know, falls in line with our values. And granted, like we're, we're small potatoes. So like, it wasn't like a huge amount of money, but we're like, yes, concept. It it's works. Awesome. <laughs> right? Yeah, but exactly. Like, That's awesome. Right. So it was like a proof, like proof of concept. And so we were like, we should turn this into a bigger platform. So now we are um, working on several initiatives. Um, Constanza Eliana Chinea has joined our team as a co-director. We have some other people in the community, like working with us too, but Right now we're working on um, a, a, like the website stuff. We are um, kind of getting our internal structure in place a little mm-hmm. bit. And then we're going to be launching the 2021 list. And we're working on how to make this like community more engaging and more beneficial to everybody, not just the people on the list. So one of the things we're looking to do is build out a directory. Cool. Because like through the podcast, like the number one question I get or we, yeah. not one of the like top questions I should say that we get is like, I want to work with yoga teachers of color in my area, but I don't know where to find them. Can you help? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're like, we don't yep. know everybody everywhere. So yeah. um, we want to build out a directory so businesses can more easily find folks for opportunities and also like a sense of community because yeah. even being a South Asian teacher in New York, like I did, Sejal, my podcast partner was like the only person I knew for like a long, like mm-hmm. way too long a time mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. yeah. I wanted to make it easy for people to find each other and find their sense of community um so this directory is going to be a part of us as people of color finding each other and finding support because I get these horror stories like on the daily of like so-and-so business did this horrible thing and I don't know what to do and I'm trying to explain to them why it's wrong and I'm like you need support <laughs> yeah this is amazing where, yeah. where can people find this so our website is yogateachersofcolor.com and our Instagram is where a lot of the stuff is happening right now. So it's at yogateachersofcolor. And if you go to the website and you sign up for the email list, we'll give you updates on like when things are launching as they're launching. So um, I recommend that you do that too. Love it. Well, one more question and then the final question and then I'll leave you alone. Okay. <laughs> so how, 
in thinking about um, what happened with Shut Up and Yoga, mm-hmm. how how much grace do because cancel culture is such a big thing right now, right? Mm-hmm. How much grace and how do we go about giving grace and like responding when uh, an entity doesn't respond in the most ideal fashion? Like I am by no means trying to defend anyone's actions here. I'm just putting this out here in terms of like when we think about behavior change and such like that shit takes time and Mm -hmm. yeah the knee-jerk reaction is to be defensive i'm not saying it's right um, but it happens and when if if someone's been steeped in this like if i think that if someone was if if a company was to react perfectly to criticism or a person was to react perfectly they probably possibly potentially wouldn't have done that thing in the first place because they perhaps were would have been woke enough if you will, to not have done that. So when we see these transgressions and such, how do we go about moving forward and and not canceling people? Yeah, and this is like not a straightforward answer. And going back to your idea of like the (laughs) non-binary, the not, the either or, because both things are necessary, I will say. Because like I've thought about this question quite a bit because I'm not about like canceling everybody, but at the same time, like, if you do something really wrong, sometimes mm-hmm. there needs to be consequences, right? Yeah, yes. And yes. especially if those things happen to be illegal, then there really needs to be consequences, yes. right? Like, so this idea of cancel culture started with Me Too and people saying, oh, you're just mm-hmm. canceling white men, blah, blah, blah. But it's like in those instances, like very real mm-hmm. um, yes. physical harm that was illegal was happening. And so like mm-hmm. in that sense, like, yes, there does need to be some canceling. Yeah. And what you're saying is also true that like we often do need to give people the chance to get better. I think the thing is like how many chances do you give somebody before you totally. realize like they don't give a crap. They don't get yep. Yep. Right? Yep. yep. And yep. so that's I think that's a part of it. And like as individuals, we also do have the power of like being a part of the marketplace. And so like you said, like if I don't agree with somebody, I have my own platform, but I also don't need to then follow somebody. You know what I yeah. mean? Like unfollowing totally. or not purchasing is not totally. Some, sometimes that gets confused with cancel culture, and I don't think that's the yes. same thing. You know? I agree. I agree. Totally. Right? And I do think there's a difference totally. between calling out and calling in. I think there are times when calling out needs to happen, especially like depending on the level of tone deafness. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> if mm-hmm. the tone deaf yeah. level is very high, then probably calling out needs to happen. But if it's like somebody who you know personally or you think is actually willing to listen, then I think a call-in is much better. And yeah. I will say the more marginalized the person is, the more calling in is probably required than yeah. calling out. Yeah. So if like it's a person of color who, you know, like already is like darker skin, already is like, you know, mm-hmm. whatever and lives in this neighborhood or, what, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Whatever many totally. more like quote unquote strike yep. they have against them like the more <laughs> i think the conversations yes. need to be like softer and like behind the scenes does that make sense yeah. and like 100 percent. yeah we have this issue with like you know bi- like all of the bipoc community which is like there isn't always a sense of solidarity but like we need to try to have a sense of solidarity because it's important oh, totally. and so it's like it's not that bipoc people like you said like they can't in in um embody some of the supremacist cultural ideals or conditioning um because we often do (laughs) yeah yeah. but the thing is like am i going to call out somebody who's bipoc no i'm going to call them in Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. very you know what i mean very yes yes no i I totally i love that answer i totally it makes sense i like i think it was just something i definitely want to bring up and, and hear your opinion on because we just see the pendulum swing. We see the binary yeah. exist, even though people are trying to break it down. And it's like, we, we're, we're like, and you, you hit the nail on the head earlier, like critical thinking. With yeah. Everybody. And the more and power somebody has, right, the more likely the call out is going to be necessary. That's just yeah. the, the fact. Like Yoga Lines has been called out beyond, I can't even, probably like an infinity number of times, but it doesn't make a difference. <laughs> you know, Yoga Journal has been called out an infinity number yeah. of times. Doesn't make a difference. So it's like, at that point, like it, I mean, it doesn't even matter, but like, I, yeah. you know, it does matter as an audience, like how you choose to engage with them. Mm-hmm. Ah, that's so good. I think it's really interesting that that concept of right to comfort and who we are willing to give more chances to or speak mm-hmm. softer to or 
give grace to and you know asking I, I i'm asking you folks listening to think about that like who are you more likely to be like oh but they didn't mean it oh but whatever and who do you not give that same courtesy to what do they look like and perhaps why i think there's something very big there uh, but yeah all right so i'm looking at the time i see where we're at I'm going to wrap this up, but before I wrap this up, I ask the same question to all my guests. Is there anything that you want to leave the people with? Anything we haven't talked about? You shared so much and I'm like so freaking grateful. Is there anything you want to leave the people with? You want to reiterate? Just anything. I said this elsewhere and I'm going to say it again. Critical thinking around who you think holds the power and do they really hold as much power as you think that they do? Like, let's start to question those paradigms around the hierarchy and let's start to realize that each of us actually has more power than we give ourselves credit for. You can't see me, but my arms are up in the air right now and just, yes. It's so, so, so good. So good. Jaisal, thank you so much for everything, for coming on, for adjusting your schedule because I messed up on my end, <laughs> for just leading the charge and being a disruptor and... Are you tired? All the time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All the time. But, you know, I, I said this on like the a Bhakti Yoga Summit, which is like the devotional thing around like, I don't have a choice. Like, I don't have a choice. Like my, my mind and my body and my spirit and whatever that connection, if there, you know, whatever that connection yeah, is yeah, with the universe yeah. and spirit, like it does not give me a choice. I have to keep going. You make me smile so big. You're my people. I love it. I love it. Friend, thank you so, so much. This was this was incredible. Thank you. If the people, when the people, because they're going to, they want to follow you, they want to learn more, they want to connect with you, how can they do that? So my Instagram is at yogawala. It's Y-O-G-A-W-A-L-L-A. And I post most of my stuff on there. And I have my link in the bio that gives you all the important stuff I'm working on. And then my website is yogawalanyc.com. But really just use that Instagram handle. Boom, boom, Instagram handle. We will drop that in the show notes. Check out the podcast. Check out the platform, Yoga Teachers of Color. That's, that's quite remarkable. Check out Instagram. Do the things because do the things. Again, Jaisal, thank you. This was this Thank you, Shante. So thank this is like such a great conversation. Thank uh, you. This is like disruptor. I love it. So yeah. good. <laughs> so, so good. You awesome. folks listening, thank you. We know you could have been doing a bunch of things and you chose to sit and listen to us. And for that, we are both endlessly, endlessly grateful. I'm not going to ask for any subscriptions, any likes, follows, or anything like that. If you like this episode, if you love this episode, if it resonated with you, share it. Share it with somebody who you think would also like it. Share it with someone who you think needs to hear it. Share it with someone who you think could benefit from it. All right. Officially wrapping it up until next time friends jaisal and maestro 